Our scripture reading this evening is Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. God who at sundry times and in diverse manner spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who, being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the firstborn into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand, until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Are they not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? So far we read God's holy word. The text tonight are two verses in this chapter, verse 7 and verse 14. Verse 7, And of the angels he saith, that is, God in the Old Testament, who maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. And verse 14, are they, that is, angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the book of Hebrews was written to converted Jews who had, because of their confession of Jesus as the Messiah, the promised 
Messiah had begun to encounter all sorts of opposition and persecution from fellow Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And this book, therefore, this letter is written to these Christians in order to encourage them, to encourage them to maintain their confession. And so the theme of the entire book is Jesus Christ, the better mediator of a better covenant. And then if that's how you understand then that when you read the first two verses, first three verses, how this holds up Christ immediately. It begins by pointing out that yes, in the Old Testament, God spoke to His people in many different ways and different times to, through prophets. He spoke to Adam, he spoke to Enoch, he spoke to Noah and Abraham and Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi, all sorts of different men at different times he spoke to them. But now, says the writer to the Hebrews, in these last days, that is in the new dispensation, God speaks to us by his Son. And then he begins to explain the greatness of this Son. He is the one that is appointed heir of all things. Everything in all of heaven and earth is appointed to the Son. He will inherit them all. And this this Son, you understand, is Jesus. God in the flesh, the very Son of God. Not only is He declared to be the heir of all things, but God, by this Son, Jesus, made everything. Besides that, He is the brightness of His glory, the radiance of His glory. He's the express image of the person of God. And He is the one who, therefore, purged us from our sins. He upholds heaven and earth by the word of His power. And now He sits down at the right hand of God. He is the perfect revelation of God. Perfect revelation. So that Jesus could say to His disciples, If you have seen Me, that is, My words, My works, you have seen the Father. He gave a perfect revelation of God. So this is the Son. But now, the rest of this chapter, and then really the rest, much of the book, is devoted to showing that this Jesus is far better than anyone else that could be a mediator between God and His people. Better than the angels, better than Moses, better than Aaron, better than Joshua. In this chapter, it's to demonstrate that this Jesus is better than the angels. And now if you think of how we think of angels, but also of the Jews and how much they would respect angels and and recognize how much greater they are than we, and then the, the point of the chapter is to say, all right, you understand how great angels are, understand that Jesus is far better than the angels. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit down at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool? And so on throughout this chapter. So keep that in mind as we tonight look at what these creatures are. 
what these verses have to tell us about angels and what the rest of Scripture tells us about angels, that the point is not merely to give us some information about angels, but ultimately it's to say, and this Jesus is far greater than the angels. Tonight, let's look then at these two verses under the theme, Angels, God's Spiritual Servants. Well, notice first of all that they are created spirits. Created spirits. Secondly, flames of fire. And thirdly, ministers to saints. Angels are created spirits. God created angels. God is the eternal one. God has no beginning. But anything else beside God is something created by God's power. He called into existence the mass of material out of which the heavens and the earth were formed. And then in the words of the Belgic Confession, which it, which it, in which it describes the work of God's creation, Belgic Confession, Article 12, God, after He created out of nothing the heavens and the earth, He formed every creature, giving it its being, shape, form, and every several offices to serve the Creator. God formed every creature. And then the next paragraph says, He also created angels. Good to be His messengers and to serve His elect. Angels were created by God. They fit, therefore, into the glorious plan of God. They were created by Jesus Christ to fit into that plan, because remember the first couple of verses of the chapter, Hebrews says, God created all things by the Son, by Jesus. So angels, too, were created by Jesus to fit into God's marvelous plan of creation. These spiritual creatures have a few different names that help us understand what they are. First of all, the word angel, that's the most common name, and it simply means messenger. An angel is a messenger. It may, angels are also called, in Isaiah chapter 6, seraphim. Seraphim, the only place that word is used in the Bible, and it means to burn. Another common name is cherub or cherubim. Cherubim, the plural of cherub. And that means guardian. And now you think of how when God sent Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, He set cherubim at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so that man could not partake of that fruit ever again. God created angels in the beginning and the total number of angels never changes. Angels do not reproduce. They do not have children. Remember how, God, how Jesus told the Sadducees, angels do not marry. The only pronoun that's ever used in connection with angels is the masculine pronoun, he or him. How many angels God did create, the Bible does not say, but it indicates it is a very large 
number. Let me give you some indication of that from the Scriptures. First of all, in Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 17 says this, The chariots of God are 20,000, even thousands of angels. Thousands of angels is what's used there in Psalm 68. You remember when Jesus told Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, put the sword away, if I wanted to, I could call more than 12 legions of angels. I could call more than 12 legions, thousands of angels, if I needed to do that. Hebrews 12, verse 22, speaks of an innumerable company of angels. That is, so many you can't count them. The book of Revelation gives us some sense of that in Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11 says this, And I beheld, John says, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. You know how much 10,000 times 10,000 is? It's a hundred million. A hundred million. And then, and thousands of thousands beyond that. God created millions upon millions of angels. Angels are emphatically creatures. And a creature is something that is dependent upon the Creator. Dependent for their very existence, their beginning, and for their continued existence. God upholds the angels so that they continue to exist. As creatures, they are limited. They are limited in location, for example. An angel cannot be everywhere present. An angel can only be present in one place at one time. Because angels are creatures, in the second place, they are limited in their power. They are not omnipotent. Only God is omnipotent. But they do have much power. 1 Timothy chapter 1, rather 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 speaks of mighty angels. 2 Thessalonians 1 7. Psalm 103.20, which we will sing later, speaks of angels that excel in strength. They excel in strength. They are more powerful than men. Peter makes that plain in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, where he is talking about false prophets, and then he turns to angels and he says, angels are greater in power and strength. Angels have more power than any human being. And yet they're creatures. They're limited. They do not have omnipotence. Limited in their location, limited in their power, as creatures are also limited in their knowledge. God is omniscient. God knows everything. Angels do not. And Jesus makes that plain, that they only know what God tells them as well. When He said, No one knows the day or the hour when I am coming. No, not the angels of heaven. They do not know either. 
They only know what God reveals to them. God is a God of order, and God, when He created the angels, also created them with with an order. The Bible speaks of principalities and powers and authorities within the realms, the realm of the angels. And some angels are very definitely higher than the rest. Michael, in Jude 9, is called an archangel. That means a chief or high angel. And in Daniel chapter 10, it speaks of Michael and then him as being one of the chief princes. One of the chief princes, indicating that there were other angels also who were high angels. Michael is one of them, and there are others. The Bible only gives the name of three angels. Michael, first of all, which means who is as God is, who is like God, that's his very name. Michael is clearly the one, the angel, that is set over the angels that are for warfare. Michael wields the sword, the spiritual sword, in the warfare. Gabriel is a second angel that is named Gabriel, whose name means Mighty One of God, he clearly is the chief messenger angel, the one that was sent most often with the important words of God at time to reveal his salvation. Luke 1.19, in that verse, he informs Zacharias that he stands in the presence of God. Gabriel stands in the presence of God waiting for the moment when God says, go with this message. The Bible also is clear that Satan, that's the third angel that is named in the Bible, Satan was a mighty angel as he was created. In fact, Jude verse 9 says that Michael, one of the chief angels, did not himself dare to bring a railing accusation against Satan, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. So mighty is Satan that Michael did not say, I rebuke you, but the Lord rebuke you. Those are three archangels that God created. When Satan fell, a large number of angels fell with him, perhaps a third of the angels fell along with him. That, of course, brings up speculation that perhaps those three angels each had a third of the angels under them, but that is not something the Bible tells us. As creatures, they are not to be worshipped. Colossians 2 specifically condemns the worship of angels. And in the book of Revelation, repeatedly as John is being shown these amazing visions and the angel with him is so glorious, he falls down and the angel immediately says, don't worship me. Don't worship me. He's just a creature. Angels are creatures, but they are spiritual creatures. 
He maketh His angels spirits. We read here in Hebrews chapter 1. They have a spiritual body. They do not have a physical body as we do of the earth. Their body is spiritual. It's made for the spiritual realm that God created. God created the heavens. God created the earth. The earth is for man and all the physical creations that creatures that God made. The spiritual, the heavenly, is for the spiritual beings. The heaven is God's glorious dwelling place. God populated that glorious spiritual place with millions of angels. When God created the heavens and the earth, it wasn't that, well, down here we have all these creatures and Adam and Eve, and up there in heaven it's kind of empty, nothing going on there. Oh no, there were millions of angels praising God in the heavens when God created the angels and their place. This is evident also from the tabernacle and the temple, which God instructed them so carefully, make the tabernacle this way. And when, at, when Moses did that, he instructed the men, as you make the curtains that go around the rooms of the holy place and the most holy place, you will weave into the curtains many, many angels. And when Solomon made the temple, he had angels carved into the walls all around those rooms and covered with gold. Again, because God is surrounded by angels. In the most holy place, there were those two angels with their wings stretched out, and God spoke from between those angels. God is surrounded by His many angels. Heaven is spiritual. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. If we could be transported into heaven, we wouldn't see anything. We wouldn't hear anything. Not in this body. There wouldn't be anything for us to eat and drink. It's not a place for us. Not as we are. We have to be changed before we can go into the place heaven. But angels were created for that. They were created good, morally and ethically perfect, yet able to sin. Able to sin. The fall of Satan and his host was decreed by God. It was in God's counsel. Again, in God's own mind, Satan didn't know anything about it. Michael didn't know anything about it, but it was in the decree of God that Satan would fall. Satan led a revolt against God. He loved himself. He wanted the worship of those millions of angels for himself. And so he revolted and took angels with him. Heaven's history is connected very much with angels, both good and bad, because after Satan fell, he yet had access to heaven. He yet could go through heaven and say to the people that were there when Adam and Eve and Seth and so on came to heaven, he could say to them, what right do you have to be here? He could say to God, what right do they have to be here? They're sinners. They belong to me. Because their sins were not paid for yet. He had access 
to heaven. It was not until Jesus accomplished the redemption of his people. When Jesus died on the cross and then ascended up into heaven victorious, Satan and his host were cast out of heaven. That's Revelation chapter 12. They were no longer allowed to be there to accuse anyone in heaven that they had no right to be there. Jesus had accomplished salvation. Satan was banished from heaven. The devil's fallen angels are spirits. That's the most common name for devils in the New Testament. Evil spirits. They are not physical. They are not able to do physical things. Although God at some times did allow a demon to take a possession, take possession of a person, and could do violent things in that body, even casting a little boy into the fire or into the sea to be drowned. And we all the children remember how the six thousand, rather the three, the two thousand swine ran down the hill because the the devils went into them and they all ran into the sea and drowned. But an angel is a spirit. He cannot turn on a light switch. He cannot open a door. He's a spirit. The realm of the angels and of the devils is the spiritual. But apparently, they are able to hear and see what we are doing, what we say. They appear on the earth sometimes as men, as God with two angels who appear like men came to Abraham. And then those angels, appearing as men, went to Lot in Sodom. And the women at the tomb saw two men in shining garments, but they appeared to be men. But when the Bible describes them as not appearing to people, the Bible describes them as creatures that have wings by which they are able to fly swiftly. But why did God create these angels? Well, the text says that they are ministers or servants of God. Servants of God. And that word servant has two ideas very clearly connected with being a servant. The first is worship. The angels worship God. They worship Him. The second idea of servant is to do what God tells them to do. To obey God's commands. Those two things angels do. They are created for God's glory and to praise Him. God chose certain angels, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21, calls them elect angels. The elect angels are preserved by the power of God so that they cannot sin. They cannot. The Old Testament Scripture repeatedly speaks of the fact that God dwells among the angels, they worship Him, they exist for His glory, but God also uses them. He sends them to do 
what He would have them to do. God, God is a God that way. God is almighty and all-powerful. He doesn't need anyone or anything, but He does use means. Now just recognize that. How many times God uses means, though He could do it directly. You think of how God in salvation uses preaching to sustain our faith, to build us up spiritually, to comfort us. He uses preaching to save His people. In the cross of Jesus Christ, think of how He used the devil, Pontius Pilate, Judas Iscariot, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. He used all of them to bring about the cross and our salvation. God uses means. To provide your daily bread, God uses means. He gives employers. He gives a business. He gives hard work. He study in books in order to give us the things that we need. God uses means. And God determined to use angels as means also. They are means. Again, the word angel is a messenger. And God used angels frequently to bring messages to people in the earth. To Abraham. To Lot. In the New Testament, to Joseph. That he should take Mary to be his wife. To Zacharias in the temple. To Mary to announce that she would be the mother of the Messiah. God used angels He brought the word to the wise men not to go back to Herod. Angels, God used as means. But they are also God's means in providence. In the way the creation is run, God uses angels. Revelation chapter 7 verse 1 speaks of angels at the four corners of the earth who had power over the wind. And God said that they should not let it blow. They had power over the wind. And the book of Ezekiel chapter 1 contains a vision of angels God uses in the execution of His decree of providence. I encourage you to read Calvin's commentary on Ezekiel chapter 1. A fascinating description of how God uses angels to execute providence. Something, of course, we can't see. Something we know nothing about except those very little glimpses that God uses them in providence. Created spirits used by God in many ways One of the ways is also to bring judgment. But that brings us to the second point, that God created His angels flames of fire. Flames of fire. That's verse 7. That they are flames of fire immediately brings to mind they are holy. A flame of fire cleanses, it's, it's holy. And that describes what angels are. They are holy. They cannot sin. Again, the elect angels cannot sin. They are preserved by the power of God so that they never, ever will sin. They are holy angels. 
Holiness, of course, means, as it always done in the first place, separation from all sin. There's no iniquity that pollutes them. But holiness, secondly, means total devotion to God. Angels are holy, separated from sin, and devoted to God. Flames of fire. They have a zeal for the glory of God, which we can scarcely imagine. They are filled with indignation against pride. They have seen pride in Satan. They condemned pride in Satan and in the fallen host. And now when they look down here upon men who are insignificant compared to angels, and they see men puffed up with pride, the angels are indignant against the pride of men. Let me demonstrate that. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, when Nebuchadnezzar said, Is not this that great Babylon that I have builded? He had a dream. And the dream was a great big tree that he realized later, under Daniel's interpretation, represented him. Represented him. He was this great tree, this great kingdom. But he said, when I said, he saw the dream, what this all meant, that when he said, is not this that great Babylon that I have builded, then we read in Daniel chapter 4 verse 13, I saw in my visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and an holy one came down from heaven. That's an angel. And he cried aloud and said, hew down the tree. Cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, scatter his fruit, let the beasts get away from under it, and the fowls from its branches. That in verse 17, this matter, this cutting down of the tree, this humbling of Nebuchadnezzar, is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High God ruleth in the kingdoms of men and giveth it to whomsoever He will and setteth up over it the basest of men. Nebuchadnezzar was so filled with pride, but when he said, look at this great kingdom that I have built, the angels cried out, God, judge him. And he was made like an animal, eating grass. For seven weeks, months, years, we're not sure, until he got out of that and, and told the world, this is, this is what happened to me in my pride, that everyone may know that God rules in heaven and in earth. In the New Testament, when wicked Herod was giving a speech to a people, and the people honoring him said, it is the voice of a God and not of a man. An angel smote Herod with worms that he died because he didn't stop the people. He loved their pride. He loved their cry that he was a God. Angels cry out in holy zeal for vengeance against a proud man 
who exalts himself against God. On the other hand, when you turn to the book of Revelation, it's filled with the songs of the angels giving praise to God, giving praise to the Lamb that sits upon the throne. They are filled with holy zeal for God. They are especially zealous for God's glory as it is connected with salvation. Now, of course, that makes sense because salvation is the one work of God that brings most glory to Him. And so being zealous of the glory of God, this is so important to the angels. Their zeal for the work of God in salvation comes out in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. Peter says, unto whom, that is the the prophets in the Old Testament, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you. By them that have preached the Holy Gospel unto you, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven. And then notice this. Which things the angels desire to look into. The angels desire to look into the glorious gospel. When in the Old Testament the prophets would be given a message by the Holy Spirit, the angels would be there listening intently. What new piece of information is given about the Messiah? And then they would discuss it together. What that meant They desired to look into this great work of God in salvation. That's indicated even in the way God told Moses to make the most holy place. Because in the most holy place, there was the ark and the mercy seat on top of it. And then the two angels, both of them with their wings stretched out, looking down at the mercy seat in a typical way, indicating their keen interest in the Messiah, in the cross, which they didn't understand, didn't know anything about, but the shedding of blood, that's where the blood was put, pointing ahead to the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Angels, zealous for the coming of Christ. Imagine when Christ is born, being chosen as one of the angels to come announce that to the shepherds and to sing glory to God in the highest. That God made them flames of fire also points to the fact that angels are the agents of God for the judgment of this world. Parable of the wheat and the tares, as well as the book of Revelation, points to their work in the judgment. They are sent forth to gather the elect out of the world, and then to gather the reprobate together, the tares, for burning. That's their work. The Old Testament 
as examples that indicate that the angels are instruments of God's wrath against the ungodly. The children all remember these stories, I'm sure, of how the angel of death killed all the firstborn of Egypt. The angel of death killed them. Of how the two angels delivered Lot so that fire and brimstone could come down on Sodom and Gomorrah. How the angel of death, when the Assyrians surrounded Jerusalem, the angel of death came and killed 185,000 Assyrians in one night. The angel of death. God's agent of judgment. And then think of the book of Revelation. Who are blowing the seven trumpets of judgment? Angels. Who are pouring out the vials of God's wrath? Seven vials. Angels. And it's the angel that is told to take his sickle and go in and reap the harvest. Take out the reprobate out of the earth. There's no place for them in God's kingdom. They are even connected with the final judgment. In Revelation chapter 14, verse 10. Revelation 14, verse 10 says this, The same, that is the wicked, shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented, the wicked shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. As if they are not only there as part of the judgment, but they guard hell. No one will escape the terrible judgment of hell. Angels are flames of fire. But ultimately, God's purpose is that angels will serve His people. That's the last verse of Hebrews chapter 1. Are they not all ministering spirits? Spirits that minister, that serve. Sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. Literally, for those who who are about to inherit salvation. Now the fact that it says they are about to inherit salvation reminds us that the word salvation is used with different emphases in the Bible. Take the word salvation all by itself and you would say, well, salvation is God's work of delivering His people out of sin and death and bringing them into eternal life. And yet when the, word, when the word salvation is used, sometimes it emphasizes different aspects of God's saving work. And here, and in other places, the word salvation simply refers to the, that one, the fact that one day we will leave this life behind and we will enter into heaven. In a sense, we've already been saved, we've already been delivered from the death from the 
corruption, but they will receive the fullness of their salvation. Those who are about to inherit their salvation. That is, the fullness of that. We have it in principle. We have forgiveness. We have justification. We have sanctification, even glorification in principle. But those who are heirs are about to receive the fullness of their salvation. That's a beautiful thing. A beautiful way to describe them. Those who are about to inherit salvation, these are the elect of God, chosen by God for their place in heaven. They will inherit the riches of heaven. God has bequeathed the riches of heaven to them. As a man sits down and writes out his will and says, this is the inheritance that I will give to you as my child and to you as my child and so on. God has bequeathed, He has a will in which He has determined to give us the riches of salvation in Jesus Christ. He earned those blessings by His suffering and death. Now they're there. They're waiting for us. We're about to inherit the riches of salvation. The work of the angels is to serve those who are about to receive the inheritance. That's that's us. The people of God who are yet on this earth. How do angels serve us? How do they minister to us? Well, in general terms, first of all, they serve us because they serve God. And God sends them with a commission. Go do this. Go do this on behalf of my people. And they go and they do it. They serve God perfectly. And as they're serving God, they are serving for the benefit of His people. Not as robots, as living, active agents of God. God gives them a work to do and they go and perform the work for the good of His church. If we can be more specific, they are involved in guarding the saints, spiritually guarding the saints, there is a spiritual warfare that angels are involved in on behalf of the church, guarding the church. Now, God gave that very clear message in a very graphic way, again, in Old Testament, so it's, it's a very concrete thing. And I'm sure the children remember this story too, how Nebuchadnezzar, rather Darius the king, said no one may pray to any god for, for a month. And then, of course, Daniel prayed, and, and Daniel was thrown into the lion's den. Darius the next day came running back to the den and wondered, Daniel, are you okay? 
And Daniel said, My God has sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lion. They were there to protect. Now that's a physical thing. But it points to the fact that angels protect us spiritually. That brings a very, very interesting and yet difficult passage in Daniel chapter 10 to mind. Daniel chapter 10 will give us some sense that there's angels doing things out there for us, and we have no idea, but they're there doing things for us. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel has an angel come to him, and he stirs him. Daniel chapter 10, beginning at verse 11, the angel said unto me, I say angel, it says he there, but it is the angel. He said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I sent. And when he had thus spoken unto me, I stood trembling. Then he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand, And to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words. I've been sent by God. But then notice, but, okay, so there was, Daniel was praying, Daniel was seeking to understand, Daniel was confessing the sins of Israel before God, and, and God sent an angel. But he didn't come immediately. Why not? That's what he's going to explain here. But the prince of the kingdom of Persian withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. And I remained there with the kings of Persia. The prince of the king of Persia, I take to be a devil that is seeking to influence the kings of Persia in order that the kings of Persia would do damage to God's people. And the angel is there opposing him. And he cannot overcome Until Michael the angel comes to help him. And so that's why it took 21 days for him to come to Daniel after Daniel had prayed his beautiful prayer of confession seeking to understand God's will. Now, I wish I could tell you more about what that means. I don't know. That's all the Bible gives us. There was a spiritual combat, a spiritual opposition between the devils and the angels of God. The devils seeking the destruction of the church. The angels obviously protecting the church. So I'm telling you that it happens, but I cannot tell you exactly what happens and how that warfare is carried on. But I do want us to know God uses angels to protect His church. 
Elisha had a bit of that understanding as well. When his servant was terrified by the fact that they were surrounded by the armies of the enemy. And he prayed, Elisha did, that God would open the eyes of the servant. And what did he see? He saw all around them in the mountains. Angels. Flaming chariots. Protecting. God uses means. He uses devils for His purpose. He uses devils for His purpose. There was a time when Ahab was ready to go out to battle. He wanted to go out to battle. And God wanted him to go out to battle because this is the way God would kill him. Ahab the king. And God used a lying spirit, a devil, to go into the prophet's who said they were prophets of Jehovah, but they weren't. And that that devil became a lying spirit in the minds and the mouths of those prophets. And they said to Ahab, go up to battle. God will give you the victory. And Ahab heard it, and he went out, and he was killed. God used devils to bring that about. As he uses devils for his purposes, surely he uses angels for the salvation of his people. Angels ministered to Jesus after the 40 days of horrible temptation in the wilderness. Angels ministered to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane as he was facing the cross. In ways then that we cannot concretely say, God uses angels for our salvation. Now understand that God Himself gives us the blessings of salvation. Only God. God by His Holy Spirit regenerates. God by His Holy Spirit gives us forgiveness. God by His Holy Spirit quickens us and makes us to be strong. Our salvation is from God alone. You don't pray to an angel for some spiritual gift. Never. Never. God alone saves. And yet, God uses angels for our good. Is it possible that angels encourage spiritually somehow Bringing Scripture to mind in a time of trouble? Is it possible that they contradict the evil that Satan purposes to do? Is it possible that they lead someone to encourage another saint to bring a good word of encouragement? Or... A word of instruction or a a word of admonition and even rebuke. That they call on God to help us. They call on God to judge the ungodly. Would they not call on God to help us in our trials? Psalm 91, which we sang, 
God gives His angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. So when it comes down to a people of God, though we're so curious and we want to know how, how, how do the angels do this, that isn't so important tonight. But this is, God uses angels for your spiritual good. Millions of angels for your spiritual good. They are servants of God ministering to us. Those who are about to inherit salvation, who will enter into glory. And when we go there, angels will be there. Hebrews 12, 22, when it speaks of the church that is in heaven, says, and that's when it says, an innumerable company of angels in that church in heaven. The vision that John sees of the church in the heavenly Jerusalem had 12 gates, and at every gate an angel. Perhaps welcoming God's people, perhaps singing praises to God, ushering God's people in with praises, guarding the church. In heaven, we will be over angels. Now angels are over us. They're more powerful. They're spiritual beings that are who are over us. But in heaven, that will be reversed. We will judge angels. In heaven, we will be the adopted sons of God. They will still be servants. Servants. To serve us. Now we must not have some earthly idea that we can have angels wait on us hand and foot. That's not, that's not how they will serve us. But consider that when we are in heaven, the whole of our being will be Devoted to God. How can we best serve God? How can we best enjoy life with God? Fellowship with God? We will want to know Him and know how best to serve Him. Perhaps angels will help us. Perhaps angels will give us good counsel. Perhaps angels will assist us in our projects in heaven And again, I'm talking foolishly because I don't know what heaven's like. But assist us with projects for the glory of God. Serving us, helping us. Again, the Bible doesn't tell us much. Again, what the only thing we really need to know is that God uses them For our spiritual good. But imagine that angels will usher you into heaven. Carry your soul into eternal glory. And how Jesus the King has at His command a hundred million angels that He sends out. To take care of His church. Now and in all eternity. His servants. To serve us. This makes us to stand in awe of God. Does it not? 
what a glorious God we have. His greatness, His wisdom. A hundred million angels plus at His command. And each one of them having a place and a function. Each one of them serving somehow God's eternal plan for our salvation. Not one of God's people can possibly be lost. God's caring for us. How He loves us. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Thy greatness and Thy glory has been shown to us in just this little piece of Thy Word. And the glory of the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ and how it is worked out in perfect wisdom and power and using these glorious creatures, angels. We honor Thee. We praise Thee. We delight in Thy goodness to us. And we look forward to the day when our faith in Thy Word is sight, and we behold Thy glory and how Thou dost work our great salvation out in Thy way. Glorify Thyself. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.